Question 69 of Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Justice. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Summa Theologica Secunda Secundae, Treatise on the Cardinal Virtues, The Virtue of Justice by St. Thomas Aquinas, translated by the Fathers of the English Dominican Province. Question 69. Of Sins Committed Against Justice on the Part of the Defendant, in Four Articles. We must now consider those sins which are committed against justice on the part of the defendant. Under this head, there are four points of inquiry. First, whether it is a mortal sin to deny the truth which would lead to one's condemnation. Second, whether it is lawful to defend oneself with calumnies. Third, whether it is lawful to escape condemnation by appealing. Fourth, whether it is lawful for one who has been condemned to defend himself by violence if he be able to do so. First article, whether one can, without a mortal sin, deny the truth which would lead to one's condemnation. Objection 1. It would seem that one can, without a mortal sin, deny the truth which would lead to one's condemnation. For Chrysostom says in his homily 31 on the letter to the Hebrews, I do not say that you should lay bare your guilt publicly, nor accuse yourself before others. Now if the accused were to confess the truth in court, he would lay bare his guilt and be his own accuser. Therefore he is not bound to tell the truth, and so he does not sin mortally if he tell a lie in court. Objection to further, just as it is an officious lie when one tells a lie in order to rescue another man from death, so it is an officious lie when one tells a lie in order to free oneself from death, since one is more bound towards oneself than towards another. Now, an officious lie is considered not a mortal but a venial sin. Therefore, if the accuser denies the truth in court in order to escape death, he does not sin mortally. Objection 3. Further, every mortal sin is contrary to charity, as stated above in question 24, article 12. But that the accused lie by denying himself to be guilty of the crime laid to his charge is not contrary to charity, neither as regards the love we owe God, nor as to the love due to our neighbor. Therefore, such a lie is not a mortal sin. On the contrary, whatever is opposed to the glory of God is a mortal sin, because we are bound by precept to do all to the glory of God, according to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Now it is to the glory of God that the accused confess that which is alleged against him, as appears from the word of Joshua to Achan, My son, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel, 
and confess and tell me what thou hast done hide it not joshua seven nineteen therefore it is a mortal sin to lie in order to cover one's guilt i answer that whoever acts against the due order of justice sins mortally as stated above in question fifty nine article four now it belongs to the order of justice that a man should obey his superior in those matters to which the rights of his authority extend again the judge as stated above in question sixty seven article one is the superior in relation to the person whom he judges therefore the accused is in duty bound to tell the judge the truth which the latter exacts from him according to the form of law hence if he refuse to tell the truth which he is under obligation to tell or if he mendaciously deny it he sins mortally if on the other hand the judge asks of him that which he cannot ask in accordance with the order of justice the accused is not bound to satisfy him and he may lawfully escape by appealing or otherwise but it is not lawful for him to lie reply to objection one when a man is examined by the judge according to the order of justice he does not lay bare his own guilt but his guilt is unmasked by another since the obligation of answering is imposed on him by one whom he is bound to obey reply to objection two to lie with injury to another person in order to rescue a man from death is not a purely officious lie for it has an admixture of the pernicious lie and when a man lies in court in order to exculpate himself he does an injury to one whom he is bound to obey since he refuses him his due namely an avowal of the truth reply to objection three he who lies in court by denying his guilt acts both against the love of god to whom judgment belongs and against the love of his neighbor and this not only as regards the judge to whom he refuses his due but also as regards his accuser who is punished if he fail to prove his accusation hence it is written in psalm 140 verse 4 incline not my heart to evil words to make excuses in sins on which words a gloss says shameless men are wont by lying to deny their guilt when they have been found out and gregory in expounding upon job chapter thirty one verse thirty three if as a man i have hid my sin says it is a common vice of mankind to sin in secret by lying to hide the sin that has been committed and when convicted to aggravate the sin by defending oneself second article whether it is lawful for the accused to defend himself with calumnies objection one it would seem lawful for the accused to defend himself with calumnies because according to civil law when a man is on trial for his life it is lawful for him to bribe his adversary now this is done chiefly by defending oneself with calumnies 
Therefore, the accused who is on trial for his life does not sin if he defend himself with calumnies. Objection to. Further, an accuser who is guilty of collusion with the accused is punishable by law. Yet no punishment is imposed on the accused for collusion with the accuser. Therefore, it would seem lawful for the accused to defend himself with calumnies. Objection 3. Further, it is written in Proverbs 14.16, A wise man feareth and declineth from evil. The fool leapeth over and is confident. Now, what is done wisely is no sin. Therefore, no matter how a man declines from evil, he does not sin. On the contrary, in criminal cases, an oath has to be taken against calumnious allegations. And this would not be the case if it were lawful to defend oneself with calumnies. Therefore, it is not lawful for the accused to defend himself with calumnies. I answer that, it is one thing to withhold the truth, and another to utter a falsehood. The former is lawful sometimes, for a man is not bound to divulge all truth, but only such as the judge can and must require of him according to the order of justice, as, for instance, when the accused is already disgraced through the commission of some crime, or certain indications of his guilt have already been discovered, or again when his guilt is already more or less proven. On the other hand, it is never lawful to make a false declaration. As regards what he may do lawfully, a man can employ either lawful means, and such as are adapted to the end in view, which belongs to prudence. Or he can use unlawful means, unsuitable to the proposed end, and this belongs to craftiness, which is exercised by fraud and guile, as shown above in question 55, articles 3 and following. His conduct in the former case is praiseworthy, in the latter sinful. Accordingly, it is lawful for the accused to defend himself by withholding the truth that he is not bound to avow, by suitable means, for instance, by not answering such questions as he is not bound to answer. This is not to defend himself with calumnies, but to escape prudently. But it is unlawful for him either to utter a falsehood, or to withhold a truth that he is bound to avow, or to employ guile or fraud, because fraud and guile have the force of a lie, and so to use them would be to defend oneself with calumnies. Reply to Objection 1. Human laws leave many things unpunished, which according to the divine judgment are sins, as, for example, simple fornication. Because human law does not exact perfect virtue from man, for such virtue belongs to few and cannot be found in so great a number of people as human law has to direct. That a man is sometimes unwilling to commit a sin in order to escape the death of the body, the danger of which threatens the accused who is on trial for his life, is an act of perfect virtue, since death is the most fearful of all temporal things, according to Ethics 
wherefore if the accused who is on trial for his life bribes his adversary he sins indeed by inducing him to do what is unlawful yet the civil law does not punish this sin and in this sense it is said to be lawful reply to objection to if the accuser is guilty of collusion with the accused and the latter is guilty he incurs punishment and so it is evident that he sins wherefore since it is a sin to induce a man to sin or to take part in a sin in any way for the apostle says in romans one thirty two that they are worthy of death that consent to those who sin it is evident that the accused also sins if he is guilty of collusion with his adversary nevertheless according to human laws no punishment is inflicted on him for the reason given above reply to objection three the wise man hides himself not by slandering others but by exercising prudence third article whether it is lawful for the accused to escape judgment by appealing objection one it would seem unlawful for the accused to escape judgment by appealing the apostle says in romans thirteen one let every soul be subject to the higher powers now the accused by appealing refuses to be a subject to a higher power notably the judge therefore he commits a sin objection to further ordinary authority is more binding than that which we choose for ourselves now according to the decretals it is unlawful to appeal from the judges chosen by common consent much less therefore is it lawful to appeal from ordinary judges objection three further whatever is lawful once is always lawful but it is not lawful to appeal after the tenth day nor a third time on the same point according to the canons therefore it would seem that an appeal is unlawful in itself on the contrary paul appealed to caesar confer acts chapter twenty five i answer that there are two motives for which a man appeals first through confidence in the justice of his cause seeing that he is unjustly oppressed by the judge and then it is lawful for him to appeal because this is a prudent means of escape hence it is laid down in the decretals all those who are opposed are free if they so wish to appeal to the judgment of the priests and no man may stand in their way secondly a man appeals in order to cause a delay lest a just sentence be pronounced against him this is to defend oneself calumniously and is unlawful as stated above in article two for he inflicts an injury both on the judge whom he hinders in the exercise of his office and on his adversary whose justice he disturbs as far as he is able hence it is laid down without doubt 
a man should be punished if his appeal be declared unjust. Reply to Objection 1. A man should submit to the lower authority insofar as the latter observes the order of the higher authority. If the lower authority departs from the order of the higher, we ought not to submit to it, for instance, if the proconsul order one thing and the emperor another, according to a gloss on Romans 13.2. Now when a judge oppresses anyone unjustly, in this respect he departs from the order of the higher authority, whereby he is obliged to judge justly. Hence it is lawful for a man who is oppressed unjustly to have recourse to the authority of the higher power by appealing either before or after sentence has been pronounced. And since it is to be presumed that there is no rectitude where true faith is lacking, it is unlawful for a Catholic to appeal to an unbelieving judge, according to the decretal Catholicus. The Catholic who appeals to the decision of a judge of another faith shall be excommunicated, whether his case be just or unjust. Hence the Apostle also rebuked those who went to law before unbelievers, in 1 Corinthians 6.6. 6. Reply to Objection 2. It is due to a man's own fault or neglect that, of his own accord, he submits to the judgment of one in whose justice he has no confidence. Moreover, it would seem to point to levity of mind for a man not to abide by what he has once approved of. Hence it is with reason that the law refuses us the faculty of appealing from the decision of judges of our own choice, who have no power save by virtue of the consent of the litigants. On the other hand, the authority of an ordinary judge depends not on the consent of those who are subject to his judgment, but on the authority of the king or prince who appointed him. Hence, as a remedy against his unjust oppression, the law allows one to have recourse to appeal, so that even if the judge be at the same time ordinary and chosen by the litigants, it is lawful to appeal from his decision, since seemingly his ordinary authority occasioned his being chosen as arbitrator. Nor is it to be imputed as a fault to the man who consented to his being arbitrator, without adverting to the fact that he was appointed ordinary judge by the prince. Reply to Objection 3. The equity of the law so guards the interests of the one party that the other is not oppressed. Thus it allows ten days for appeal to be made, this being considered sufficient time for deliberating on the expediency of an appeal. If, on the other hand, there were no fixed time limit for appealing, the certainty of judgment would ever be in suspense, so that the other party would suffer an injury. The reason why it is not allowed to appeal a third time on the same point is that it is not probable that the judges would fail to judge justly so many times. Fourth Article Whether a man who is condemned to death may lawfully defend himself if he can. Objection 1. 
it would seem that a man who is condemned to death may lawfully defend himself if he can, for it is always lawful to do that to which nature inclines us, as being of natural right, so to speak. Now, to resist corruption is an inclination of nature, not only in men and animals, but also in things devoid of sense. Therefore, if he can do so, the accused, after condemnation, may lawfully resist being put to death. Objection to further. Just as a man, by resistance, escapes the death to which he has been condemned, so does he by flight. Now, it is lawful seemingly to escape death by flight, according to Ecclesiasticus 9.18, Keep thee far from the man that hath power to kill, and not to quicken. Therefore, it is also lawful for the accused to resist. Objection 3 further. It is written in Proverbs 24.11, Deliver them that are led to death, and those that are drawn to death forbear not to deliver. Now a man is under greater obligation to himself than to another. Therefore, it is lawful for a condemned man to defend himself from being put to death. On the contrary, the Apostle says in Romans 13 verse 2, He that resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist, purchase to themselves damnation. Now a condemned man, by defending himself, resists the power in the point of its being ordained by God, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of the good. Confer 1 Peter 2.14 Therefore, he sins in defending himself. I answer that. A man may be condemned to death in two ways. First, justly, and then it is not lawful for the condemned to defend himself, because it is lawful for the judge to combat his resistance by force, so that on his part the fight is unjust, and consequently without any doubt he sins. Secondly, a man is condemned unjustly, and such a sentence is like the violence of robbers, according to Ezekiel 22.21. Her princes in the midst of her are like wolves, ravening the prey to shed blood. Wherefore, even as it is lawful to resist robbers, so is it lawful, in a like case, to resist wicked princes except perhaps in order to avoid scandal, when some grave disturbance might be feared to arise. Reply to Objection 1. Reason was given to man that he might ensue those things to which his nature inclines, not in all cases, but in accordance with the order of reason. Hence, not all self-defense is lawful, but only such as is accomplished with due moderation. Reply to Objection 2. When a man is condemned to death, he has not to kill himself, but to suffer death. Wherefore he is not bound to do anything from which death would result, such as to stay in the place whence he would be led to execution. But he may not resist those who lead him to death, 
in order that he may not suffer what is just for him to suffer. Even so, if a man were condemned to die of hunger, he does not sin if he partakes of food brought to him secretly, because to refrain from taking it would be to kill himself. Reply to Objection 3 This saying of the wise man does not direct that one should deliver a man from death in opposition to the order of justice. Wherefore, neither should a man deliver himself from death by resisting against justice. End of question 69 Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C.